0: Hail the power of Jesus' name! Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, Lord of all. Let every in Welcome everybody again to the Tag You're It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am Dave. And who else do we got on the line?
1: Oh, we got uh, Gabriel (laughs) Zelaya.
0: Yes, nice to meet you, man. Well, yes, so this is a. This is a very exciting episode. The last one um, with Gayla was exciting, and this one is exciting in its own right. We have Gabriel Zale- Zalea, and uh, he is a freshly showered new M-Band member. So he is also, he's now a colleague, I guess, in the Missouri Baptist uh, <laughs> Network, anyway, the convention uh, with Dave and I. And so this is an awesome introduction to uh, him with you guys that are watching and list- downloading the podcast. Um to the newest uh, resource of a person that you have um, to be able to get, get in contact with, come to your church, talk about apologetics and uh, issues of that. And we'll get to know him more and what he uh, likes to talk about um, what he feels well-versed in to come and equip um, other people to then again, there's no such thing as the office of apologist here, right? We are all called to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We're all to give, Give a reason for the hope, the gospel that lies within us, to those who ask gently and respectfully, um, by a certain standard as well. Um, and I'm sure that'll come out tonight and everything. But uh, yeah, this is Gabriel and uh, dude. Um, thank you uh, for being a part of the Tag Your Podcast and taking your time tonight. So, yeah, thank you, thank you very much.
2: Well, Gabe, um, just tell us a little bit about who you are. Give us some of your background. I mean. I can say I had you as a student. You were a great student. I was uh, impressed. I remember reading one of your, your last speeches you prepared, and you had so much there talking about apologetic methods. Um, so tell us just a little bit about who you are, what you do, and, and what you're going to do for the kingdom, what you hope to do for the kingdom, I should say. Yeah.
1: Hmm. So, um, like I said, my name is Gabriel Zelaya. I am a native to Kansas City. I have been um, in this area my whole life. I grew up an athlete. Actually, I played all over the Midwest. I was a former soccer player. Um, I, I am right now a worship pastor for Episcopal uh, Baptist Church, Associate Pastor of Worship Ministries. Mm. I've been doing that, uh, just cracked open my second year here at the church. Mm. And um, I had led previously at a different church for about seven years, started when I was 16, small church, uh, but I got to learn and grow there. Um, and worship ministry, and, and pastoral worship ministry in uh, the worship context has been uh, what I do uh, for the kingdom, for the church, um, really since I was about 21, about right when I got into Spurgeon College mm. uh, where I'm an undergrad. And um, I've just been uh, leading in song, leading in truth, in spirit and truth as we go forward and sing before, uh, you know, the pastor brings the word and things of that nature. So uh, currently right now, I'm just a student, a worship pastor, and someone who just loves apologetics.
0: Yeah. Well, Amen. that's awesome. And I mean, we just got done, uh, you know, the last episode uh, talking about screenwriting, screenplays, mm-hmm. art. Um, and uh, as a, you know, as somebody that is a presuppositionalist, I'm sure you're, again, I want to bring this uh, element in, um, but Francis Schaefer, uh, student yeah. of Cornelius Van Til, um, mm-hmm. talks about, again, that uh, sort of stair-step um, worldview issue of how you can tell the worldview um, by All and and how how worldview flows um, through um, you know and and in this sense you said you're a worship pastor so this is also art Um, there's there's an art to it um, but it's not just an art for art's sake there is something back of Mm -hmm. the art the gift given to you and so uh, tonight there is a special um, perspective. Offered even in this and in an art sense, but it's still you have the universals of uh, defending the faith. Why yes. defend the faith and all that kind of stuff? But then mm-hmm. how it works out, um, you're going to see the same. You're going to hear the same stuff that Dave and I talk about. Yeah. Dave yeah. and I have, um, you know, our giftings and our our little sphere of like what we're interested in because um, we realize that it is a gift of God, um, yeah. you know, in, in Jesus Christ given to us. And you know, like I do worship and stuff like that, but it's not my main focus. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I'm i going to learn a lot tonight. So I thank you for coming on and, and bringing this sort of perspective of a yeah. uh, someone who worships in music because um, I do that. Um, but at the same time, you have a higher level of um, uh, I guess there would be influence, but a higher level of you are in charge of. Um, leading people and singing songs mm-hmm. um, to God and those songs have words and words have meaning transcendent meaning and a standard by which to know that transcendent meaning uh-huh. so this is a big um, you know apologetics and worship music it's probably something that people don't put together in their heads you know um playing guitar piano and singing um that's just not the world of defending the faith or is it and so i i hope that definitely comes out tonight and uh, anybody that's listening um that is a music minister or just you're sitting in your home with your kids um you are in a band um how like how are you defending the faith um, in song? And I think, yeah, that's, that's really a good point, but you know, there's, there's some more issues to deal with um, tonight, but um, firstly, um, you're your worship pastor, you do all these things, but um, Mm -hmm. tell us, let's go back a little bit and tell us how you got into apologetics and why.
1: Yeah. So I think this, in my reflection of this thought, um, there's really kind of two, two ways I arrived at it. Um, First, my my background growing up, I grew up in an extremely fundamental, like independent fundamental Baptist background. Uh, so my idea of truth was because the Bible says it, that's it. And I had no rational background. I, I, I identified very easily with that that kid who believed in Jesus but had no reason And how I could articulate that or what that meant or if I use the Bible, what does that even mean? Um, so just in my own searching for my own sake of wanting to know what I believe, not just in my heart, but as I sit and think through it, I I just kind of stumbled upon it. Um, even though there's a lot of controversy surrounding this individual, my first introduction to, um, apologetics was through Ravi Mm Zacharias' ministries. Um, I picked up on his videos and I was listening to him answer questions on questions I had, but also I was like, I've heard people ask those questions. Um, and I was like, wow, I never realized that there was this, like, this is something that people study and talk about. And then the second thing from there, like right when I started listening to Robbie about that time, and I, I know you two might have a, uh, a fun, fun time with this hmm. individual. I started listening to Willie Mae Craig as well. Yeah, so we've we've I, talked
0: about him a little bit.
1: <laughs> <on this show. laughs> oh, boy. But anyway, I, uh, I had just started my first semester, uh, fall of 2017, and uh, Dr. John Mark Yates uh, signed me up. He, he signed me up for all my classes my first semester. Hmm. I'll never forget. It. He looked at me and he said, you're going to take philosophy for your first class. And that was with Dr. Alan Branch. And I only knew philosophy to be something that it's like, this is something only atheists do. And this isn't necessarily like the most healthy subject. And I've watched God's Not Dead. And I'm like, oh, boy, this is (laughs) interesting. I don't know what to think. And I went into that class and I was blown away because it was essentially as much as it was philosophy and Dr. Branch is an ethicist, but it was as much apologetics as it was. Philosophy in general, and bringing in ethics and talking about logic and, and and things like this, so i'm I'm sitting here like I'm just soaking it in like there is so much more to this than just answering questions and and, and how Christianity and reason and philosophy and logic and thought love the Lord your God with all your mind, what mm-hmm. that actually means and looks like was hitting me all at once, and I was just. I was just eating it up and it just really kind of affirmed in me that this is a ministry. Not only do I have, I think a strong connection to, but a growing burden to be a part of.
2: Mm. Yeah. Amen. Mm. That's one thing I really appreciate, uh, Gabe, as you jump into this, uh, you come from this and I like the way you said it, a very fundamentalist background. I don't think that there is, uh, uh, On face value, something directly wrong with that, I think what happens oftentimes is there's a closure of don't ask questions. And there's certainly a value in saying, hey, God said I'm not going to question. But the reality is, why is that where you're going? Why is that your statement? So what's the underground, what are the assumptions that you're making when you say that? That's a great statement. Mm How did you get there? And so then you jump into what I think is probably a, a normal trail for a lot of people who get into apologetics. What do you do? You go to YouTube, right? You go to YouTube and we broadcast to YouTube because we think it's a valuable resource. I mean, I listen to lectures all the time from people on YouTube. And then you jump into, hey, I heard about this author and I began to read. And then you get into some more formal training that is done for the church. By the church, empowered by the church. One thing I love about being Southern Baptist, by the way, is that we do take very seriously our call for the church to fund the education of our pastors. Such a key piece. But then you kind of jump into this more evidentialist trail. So, so tell us a little bit about how did you get to listening to folks like Craig and like Ravi Zacharias? And gosh, we've got. To, I'd really love before we close. Be thinking a little bit, even as you're answering in the back of your mm-hmm. mind, I'd love to have a little bit of a discussion about Ravi Zacharias, because I think that you're very well well mm-hmm. equipped for that. I think it's a timely thing, even though we didn't like put it on the deal. Uh, so be ready to, to kind of say a few things about that. But, but tell us a little bit about that journey, because I think there are some similarities that that many people in the covenantal apologetics position have, but, but how did yours go and tell us the things that you had to wrestle with? Cause I think you've directly wrestled with some people, uh, that I would be afraid to have to, to deal with.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I,
2: so the, the one thing
1: I think that I wrestled with the most, and it was the one question, of course, it's a very typical question at, at Midwestern Seminary, seeing as there's a lot of, uh reformed students coming in and there's still a decently i think strong non-reformed uh group of individuals at the school which is it's a, it's good i think to have a good balance good perspectives argument and um disagreement is always a good thing if done well and done right um but i was really wrestling with what is man's freedom what does it actually look like and how does it apply not philosophically, as I listened to Craig, but how does it apply biblically? Mm. What is the Bible actually saying about it? So I actually was starting to listen to a lot of R.C. Sproul. Mm. And R.C. Sproul talked about what Jonathan Edwards talked about, his book on, on uh, uh, the freedom of the will, self-determinism, that that we act to our strongest inclinations and Scriptures just kept popping up in my mind. I'm like, "This is biblical that that the will is bound one way or the other with specific influences." And I mean, without getting too philosophical, but at the same time, very theological. I just I looked at that. RC Sproul, great teacher, really miss him. And um, when I looked at that, I said, "If if I believe this to be true." Then there's a lot of theological perspectives I have to reconsider, Mm. which also means, as I was talking to a few uh, of the PhD guys at the school, I also have to think about my apologetics because this Mm. directly impacts how I defend the faith. So I had known about presuppositionalism at the time. I'm listening to R.C. Sproul making a transition into Reformed theology myself. And then I start to read and actually listen to what Van Til said, mm. as opposed to what people say about Van Til.
3: Yeah.
1: Like, well, now I'm, I'm listening to Scott Oliphant. I'm listening to Greg Bonson. And I'm listening to how they actually formulate their arguments based on presuppositions and transcendental argumentation, all these kinds of things. I was just sitting there, I was like, this actually does make sense, given, of course, I think, reformed theology. Mm. And I, I sat there and I said, I think my conviction has to my theology is so strong that I, I'm, I'm convinced that I need to move to presuppositionalism almost naturally because my theology was more reformed. Um, I just kind of decided, you know what? I think I'm going to actually study this, but study it. Not for the sake of information, but for how to actually use it. Because I think, I think there's actually something there that I never considered before. Hmm. Oh, yeah, we theology a lot, really, and truly.
0: That's awesome. So, um, you know, I just wanted to ask you, uh, what is your definition of apologetics?
1: Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get you. I'm to take Craig's definition. Almost textbook, you know, that is, is that branch of theology that deals with uh, answering questions. But I would say, I mean, I think there's a big, big part of it to where we are answering and giving answers from the hope that is within us. But I do find, I love the way John Frame, for example, puts it, that it's attacking unbelief.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That, uh, I mean, obviously that is a, an extremely presuppositional way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. But um, answering questions also comes in that offensive form by saying, I know what I believe. It makes sense in what I say and in my worldview. Now you have to tell me you, I, I want you to answer the same question and how that actually makes sense in your own. I think that that asking that question back to the, to the person asking me is just as much a healthy form of apologetics under that traditional uh, definition. But I, 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 like frames definition. I like Van Til's definition as mm-hmm. well. Um, basically, uh, just challenging worldviews, attacking unbelief. Um, I mean, that's how I would settle more.
2: Yeah. Well, that's an interesting, I, I really appreciate that. You actually did that in one of my classes. You talked yeah. about your definition of apologetics. Adam didn't get to read that. So just so you know, I don't share everything, uh, with Adam. I just, uh, I just, try to connect him with students that I'm really impressed with and I want to encourage. And I want to encourage every one of my students that I have. And it was easy to encourage you to see, hey, this guy took his studies seriously. And that's always a blessing for me to have a student like, no, this person wants to not just know things for the sake of knowing, but to study, to understand, and to apply. Uh, Such Mm. a key piece. And and you are a gifted communicator, but you're also a gifted worship leader. So Mm. how do these two things intersect? Like, tell me a little bit about how your apologetic has now influenced even the way you approach Mm. the preparation for conducting worship. And what does it look like to be a presuppositional worship leader?
1: Oh, man. Mm. You know, I'll tell you, there's going to be so much more that I want to say about this because I'm actually going to be having, hopefully, uh, a lot of conversation with, uh, I mentioned him before, Dr. Swain. He's the head of the Worship Ministries program, and uh, he and I have been having a lot of conversations about this very subject and what Mm -hmm. that looks like. Um, But as far as personally, to, to, to answer the question, I like that, especially that you brought in the idea of preparation, because when I pick songs... At the time, like when I was younger and I wasn't as versed in apologetics, and I wasn't as versed even in my theology as I probably ought to have been, um, I just picked things that I knew just blatantly uh, spoke truth or was at least moving towards truth. Um, But now, whenever I'm either picking songs for Sunday or I'm praying over things or I'm considering new songs, because of my apologetics and because of my theological um, training that I've had both formally and just in my own personal time, I I now am more able to discern what a congregation ought to sing, because when they sing, not only are they uh, singing a specific theology, but they are singing a certain theology by which they are proclaiming and thus defending mm-hmm. in their local singing together what they're singing they're, they don't just believe but they are in a sense affirming a defense of this belief that we're going to congregationally affirm this thing so when i'm looking at songs these my apologetic background in studies highly influence what i pick what i choose because I'm from i mean a theological point perspective but a pastoral perspective if i am leading people in song i am putting like like you said earlier adam putting words in people's mouths that they are genuinely trying to worship from
3: mm. and
1: if i am convicted by what i believe is the holy spirit's um illuminating um ministry on my heart on 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 the scriptures and um And my apologetic training, I'm saying I want to pick not just spirit and truth, but really actually analyze what those words are. So it has greatly influenced the way that I prepare, the way that I um, present, but also personally for myself, when I sing and I'm leading and I'm worshiping with the congregation, I find a great and newfound sense of. Confidence in what I sing. Mm, um, I, when I listen to, like, for for example, if I'm not listening to Van Till, a lot of time I'll listen to uh, Doctor uh, Gary havermass and uh, I listened to a talk he did at New Orleans Seminary not too long ago, and I was just sitting there, just reflecting on the resurrection and just singing some of those old hymns like "Old Rugged Cross" at the cross, and I sing them so much more differently now mm. because I have. I have rational evidence and now I, that, that molds so beautifully with the evidence of faith, of the Spirit's work in my life and in my heart that I find myself worshiping more genuinely, more passionately to, to the very Lord I am doing my best to set aside um, and bow to the Lordship of who He is. So it is extremely crucial and it, it's not the fun thing is it's not just theological studies, but studies that that touch on those um, things that people would deny rationally. How could you believe in the old rugged cross? Isn't Jesus this so-and-so and such-and-such? I can then enter into conversation confidently, um, even just by singing a song or humming a tune that is a familiar hymn. So it's It greatly impacts what I do. Yeah.
0: And I mean, and I'm, that's, that's beautiful actually. Um, cause, uh, I can, I can definitely, um, level with you on on, like having a mutual, um, issue of singing worship and just regurgitating words and never making the connection. And then whenever we're talking about, um, being, uh, brought from darkness to marvelous light, when we're talking about the renewing of our minds and stuff like that. And what do we do? Like what, what is the act of singing and the, uh, uh, I guess our day and age, we're all, we're trying to get that endorphin feeling in our chest. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. the only thing that goes in our mind is just some sort of like fuzzy feeling, but we're not thinking. Um, And then just like, uh, You know, you grow up and you're a kid and you're like watching people sing psalms and they seem like old fuddy-duddies and uh, just holding on to traditions. And then you get to this mind, like whenever you're able to connect um, things mentally um, from scripture and then you read it in a song, it's like, dang, that song is good. Like, yeah, it's not my style, but I can sing it Mm -hmm. because of what it says. And so, this is kind of like, um, because those things were too intellectual back in the day we've left them. Yet we also mm-hmm. tell her, say everybody in the past was not intellectual <laughs> and mm-hmm. we are the intellectual ones. And so, yeah, what you just said there was so beautiful because it is um, singing and worship and playing. It's all a, it's, it's as much a mental exercise yes. um, yeah. as anything else. And so, yeah, if you don't, if you're not mentally connected to the scriptures, you're not going to be mentally connected to the words. Right. And then you're going to end up just doing ceremony. And Mm -hmm. um, just being a Pharisee, just doing it to do it. It's a checkbox. I sung today. Woohoo. Look, Jesus Mm -hmm. loves me now. And it's like, if your mind wasn't in it and your heart wasn't in it, you know, together, Mm -hmm. no, no. Jesus is not happy with that. You know, he's, he's, he doesn't have all of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are you doing? So, yeah, one, that, that's a beautiful, beautiful point to make. And, you know, so what I would say um, here, like to interject and put a little uh, plug out is uh, you, you, we started. With how, does, how does worship and presuppositional apologetics look like? What does it look like? It looks like a book from BNR, <laughs> Baptist and Reform Publishing. So we would like you to write a book and we would like to put, a, put our label on it. And uh, certainly, you know, yeah, because uh, yeah, yes. my head is already spinning on the subject. So I might have to just <laughs> yeah. send you a bunch of questions, yeah. send you a bunch of like uh, just chapter idea, just to, the title and yeah. just let you go to town and write. Yeah.
2: Yes. You certainly have an invitation to uh, to publish with uh, BNR Publishing, Baptist and Reform mm-hmm. Publishing. It's okay. a uh, tongue-in-cheek on uh, Presbyterian and Reformed, uh, but uh, <laughs> God bless those folks. But uh, but yes, that is our, our publishing arm, and we're happy to uh, to put things out for people. Uh, even if you want to write a blog for the Taguerran mm-hmm. podcast, we'd love such a great piece. It causes me to think a little bit um, so much uh, about the guy who leads our worship. We have a a guy and a gal who lead our worship here mm-hmm. at First Baptist, and they do a mar- they do an excellent job, and I've I've seen a new and renewed hunger in him for growth theologically. And it's so important. I'm going to actually send him a copy of the podcast today and be like, Hey, you need to listen to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell me a little bit, uh, as you uh, began to formulate this position on presuppositional apologetics, and mm-hmm. we've talked now about how it's influenced your worship. Uh, what though is the difference? You know, I, I know when you were my student, I did, I think you're one of the students. I sent a copy. Hey, Here's a debate that Adam and I did with um, Dr. Richard Howe. God bless Dr. Howe. We we really respect him, and but we strongly disagree with him. But um, every once in a while, he'll nudge me with something. Oh, I read this, and what do you say? And uh, he never likes my response, sir. But God bless him. I mean, he's a sharp dude. Um, but what would you say is the difference? You know, you talked about Sproul and how he has uh, influenced you. But He's a classical guy. I've got his book, classical yeah. apologetics. I mean, I could grab classical apologetics off my mm-hmm. shelf right now and, sh- and hold it up to you. Um, what's the difference, though, between presuppositionalism and uh, classical apologetics? Uh, Why is that important?
1: Yes. So the the difference in 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 the method itself is. Classical apologetics, when it is giving the apologetic or when it is answering, is seeking to do a few things. The first thing, obviously, this is this is this is classic William Lane Craig. This is classic Sproul. They are trying to first prove theism is 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 true. Is in general that there is that there is at least, and I would hope that they would say a monotheism, obviously. But just just the idea of theism in general. The first step is saying, Yeah, we can actually say things that true. Then they'll look at the second step and they'll say, But it's not just any theism, just theism of the Christian God. And then they're just answering questions that, that people might have uh, logically or philosophically or maybe even evidentially based on Christ and the resurrection. this is classic two step method within classical apologetics, the presuppositional apologetics. Um, argues by presuppositions that we have about God and how God basically, like but in real layman's terms here, defines the rest of reality, defines logic, knowledge, defines um, metaphysics itself, existence, being, what it means for all of these things. We we utilize our Christian presuppositions, biblical presuppositions, and take those to Either a formal debate, uh, street evangelism, or whatever the case might be, we never abandon presuppositions where classicists will say, there's a little ground. We can, we can agree on um, uh, some sort of mutuality of standpoints and seek truth together, where the precept is saying, to anybody who does not affirm Christianity, I don't think you can know truth without my worldview existing.
3: Mm-hmm. So,
1: that but I' would also say this. I want to add a personal note to this, where it really stood out to me when I was really thinking about the difference between these two things. I remember one time, a couple of years ago i was I was working part-time as a lifeguard <laughs> in a, a local community center uh, here in Excelsior Springs. And as a kid there, I would always try my best to evangelize and talk to Jesus about me. Um, at the time I was much more classical in the way that I spoke so um, he he would bring some very hefty questions some typical questions on you know if, if God is so good and how is there all this bad stuff in the world yeah, classic, just normal regular questions but I'll never forget there was a, a point in time when we were working and having one of these conversations where we just stopped and looked at me and said, you know Gabriel I think you've answered just about anything that I could ask you. And you know what? You answered them well. I would probably look back at some of that and say, man, there's a lot better things I could have said. But he liked what I said. And he was like, I think you're right on everything. But I just can't believe it. I don't want to believe it. It's just, I just don't want to. Hmm. When I was remembering that, I was actually thinking about it today at work. Um, I thought, and there it is. This is, uh, the, I think the biggest difference between
0: those. Oh, yeah, it's kind of getting a little garbly. So sorry about that, everybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, just, I just want to stop you and then get to a better point okay. point in whatever this internet thing's doing. But yeah, repeat, um, just what you're about ready to oh, say there.
1: Um, the, the big difference, I mean, reflecting on what my friend said, you know, everything I said was right. God is Most likely created the world, all this stuff. But he just doesn't want to believe it. It was there is where I I think this is the biggest difference between classical and presuppositional. Presuppositional gets to the heart of the matter as quickly as possible.
0: Amen. Uh Amen. I agree (laughs) with you so much right there. It
1: it doesn't dance around philosophical neutrality. It's saying Mm -hmm. you have a heart problem. This isn't just a philosophical or logical or even evidence-based. This is your heart and its possible, if not outright, rejection of the Lord you know to exist. Just like my friend saying to me, I know it's real. I think what you're saying is absolutely true, but I just don't want to believe it. How how blatant is that Romans 120, suppressing the truth and just doing what they want to do and replacing things in place of God and not submitting to that lordship. Had I known what I know now, then I would have, I would have, oh, I would have pleaded to him. And that was the first time, I think, just again, personal note, I really felt a conviction and a sorrow for somebody who was just outrightly rejecting God, even just right in front of me. Mm -hmm. And that was where It really came true to me. It's a heart issue more than anything. That's a big difference, I think.
0: Yeah. In pre- yeah. Of
1: methodology.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I totally get you there because it's even, even in my life, um, you can have those conversations with people. Um, mm-hmm. I know online it gets a lot more heated than it does whenever yeah. I'm actually talking to somebody, but you know, this is evidenced. If you uh, go on my timeline, I've got a guy, um, that, and now that we're friends as of today, we finally made the, uh, Facebook connection. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, you'll, you'll see, I'll get him to a point where, especially like on theonomy, he's just like, you know, I don't like that. You know, like, you know what your world would be like if theonomy was the thing and it would end up ruining people like me and so they get what is Romans what what is Romans 1 18, 30, or Romans 1 30 I think around in that part it says that they they know that what they're doing mm-hmm. they know mm-hmm. the penal um, sanction against what they're doing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so they know it and so like the only reason why they and r- the reason why they don't like he doesn't want theonomy is because he knows that he would be liable to judgment Yep. And so, that's what he's running away from. That, so, he wants survival and it's like, well, if it were true, would you follow the truth or would you still rebel against it? And yep. so, that's why, that's the signal of, see, he hates God, he knows, he mm-hmm. knows he hates God. That's the way I ha- we have to interpret it. And so like you are saying, like we have to interpret it as Christians. We have to do apologetics as Christians. We can't do apologetics as if we're not. And then we are mm-hmm. both going to step into Christendom at the end of the mm-hmm. argument. You mm-hmm. have to maintain your mm-hmm. Christian in Christ identity and treat Christ the way he is- deserves to be treated as your Lord, your Savior, your King. And so I know... I have seen that in my life uh, uh, and studying these things going like, yeah, this is totally inconsistent of me yeah. Even from a cold logical standpoint. This is totally inconsistent of me. Um, and then getting into those like, man, this should break my heart whenever I give somebody else the right to judge my king,
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, which is his king, too. And he knows it. So, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of like um, why I don't get R.C. Sproul. <laughs> you yeah. know? And, uh, you know, just and it's one of those things I shared, you know, just to, I know this isn't on the thing. Uh, Dave and I sort of planned for this to be a little bit of a longer conversation. Um, but um, I got a book for my church because we we're going through John. Anyway, and it's an R.C. Sproul commentary on John. And you know, it's just one of those things, you know, even he was so close. And we've talked about this before because we had a discussion with Richard Howe on the show, and um, he brought in Bonson and Sproul. But just listen to this. So, uh, this is what Sproul says, and he brings in Justin Martyr. So, we're talking about somebody way the oh, heck long. Yeah. So, we're talking nope. about historical presuppositionalism. Mm-hmm. I know it's anachronistic to say, but listen to this. It's it, this will demonstrate. Um, He says, Justin Martyr argued that geniuses such as Plato and Aristotle did not discover any great truths by their own power. Whatever light these pagan philosophers found was borrowed. I wonder who used the term borrowed. Borrowed capital, Greg Bonson. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Which... Van (laughs) and and (laughs) the students, but he says, whatever these light, whatever light these pagan philosophers found was borrowed from the light that comes into the world. All light finds its origin in Jesus Christ, who is the fountain of all truth. That is the point John is making here. So, R.C. Sproul is calling John the apostle, the guy that wrote the gospel, a presuppositionalist. He's calling Justin Martyr a presuppositionalist. Apparently, R.C. Sproul is agreeing Which I mean, we understand that. I I don't want to present a straw man here that, you know, um, that the people proposing and propounding and perpetuating classical apologetics that they don't agree with John. It's just their practice does not Mm -hmm. agree with this statement. And so I'm sitting Mm -hmm. here and I'm going, so what was R.C. Sproul's problem with Bonson again? (laughs) <laughs> you know, and this is whenever you get into my, Van Til's, my credo, whenever he's like, I believe in the self-attesting Jesus Christ. Again, all truth turns upon him. He is in him and hidden all the uh, treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Um, you know, Christ existed eternally as John, as the whole book of John is there to um, tell you about. And so, you know, the, the big thing is that also in my credo from Van Til, Van Til pointed out like, from the pulpit, we're preaching certainty, and then somehow, when we're over here, we're teaching chance to get to this, mm. and it's like yeah. see there there's the problem.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so you know that's so you know it's one of those things that you've seen biblically, I've seen biblically Dave mm. uh, as well can attest for the same sort of sort, sort of testimony um, in that with James White preaching straight from the Bible, being consistent with the Bible mm.
2: Well, that causes me to kind of switch the channel to a little bit more that we didn't really get into. But you mentioned the name Ravi Zacharias, and yep. one of the things that I think is actually something that Adam and I buy uh, what we do, you know a lot of times on shows we''ll, we'll comment on Christian worldview issues. And so uh, some of this is a sh- little bit of a shoot interview, but but tell me a little bit about how you now, uh, you've seen this guy who influenced you. How are you processing that and and what can we learn? from some of the, those moral failings, um, help us a little bit with that. Cause Adam and I didn't even really talk about this, but yeah. you said that it's a current issue. It's an important thing. Um, mm-hmm. someone that influenced you, tell us a little bit about what you're doing with that.
1: I tell you, um, when you see such moral failings and it's, it's one thing I think, you know, uh, cause I, my mind immediately always runs first to David. Uh, King David, and I'm like, you know, it could be a King David situation, but uh, kind of the depth and magnitude that uh, Ravi Zacharias took to both hide and commit some of the things that he did uh, pretty extensive, well thought out. Um, I was just reading that report yesterday, mm. uh, the actual report that was put together, and just some of the things I was reading. I, I the, the first thing it does, just on a reflecting back on the things that i heard him say it loses such credibility it loses such depth and
2: genuineness
1: i listened to him on the ben shapiro show for example and ben shapiro was saying about how how gentle and how genuine and how heartfelt that Ravi was and just it's things like that that really strip away that kind of reputation um which takes me i mean I go right to uh, First Timothy uh, three, you know, having a good rapport, uh, pastorally, as a minister, as an influencer, if I were to be a little more general, but obviously this is talking primarily about pastors. Um, and it, it, it saddens me. It, it's convicting because I know that at any time, especially with being a man, and and knowing what temptation is like, that first and foremost, I know that um, there's always a point in which I can be tempted in the same way and be faced with the same exact thing that caused him to fall. And it makes me to be weary of my own heart's desires like like the the man in James uh, one and two who would look at his reflection and not even recognize himself, you know, it, it causes my my heart to to strive more towards the Lord and stay as close to him because temptation and, and the devil is after me. That's right. My heart. Um, so, I mean, I, like I said, really, it's, it's those two things at, at, at face value. It, he's to me loses a lot of uh, credibility in what he says just by trying to process how genuine he actually was. In trying to influence people, which I'm sure there were, could be times where he really was trying to be that way, but trying to battle off this sin is not easy. And even, you know, like I mentioned, King David, to go so far to hide it by, by taking the life of another. So it, it shows the seriousness of sin at the yeah. same time. And so this is
0: why, yeah, and this is why, you know, we need to really tell people, um whenever, as apologists, that you know we're going to go speak yeah. to people, um we need to pay attention to the full book, the full letter of Peter. Um, it's not just about three fifteen. It's mm-hmm. not just about three fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Yeah. You know, you got to keep on going back. And Peter, again, he was talking to exiles. He was talking to a persecuted church that was, um, as if you've listened to my, co- the uh, covenantal, uh, not, not covenantal projects, but being a great commission apologist uh, um, talk that I did, um, being an apologist is what we really need to think about. And this is what yeah. Peter was telling them to do is this, this is how to be an apologist. Um, everything before before uh, 315 happens. And there's a call to holy living here. It says, uh, one thirteen says, therefore with your minds ready for action, be sober minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as one who has called you as holy, you are to be holy in all of your conduct for it is written, be holy because I am holy. So as presuppositionalists, we we agree here that the nature of logic, the nature of everything reflects God, the triune God, the starting point for everything. And so, this is why we can't just have people apologetics, uh, apologists coming into our churches speaking to our kids just to tell us to be ready and give us those quick little one-line yeah. answers, you know, like uh, the monkey see, monkey do apologetics. And uh, that's mm-hmm. something I'm, you know, trying to articulate better for a first uh, chapter of a book anyways, is, is doing that. And that's what this kind of um, classical apologetics, so I would probably nail it with uh you can uh, use the opening of Christian Manifesto, um, Francis Schaefer, the parts and pieces nature of everything. Um, that's what classical apologetics is going to do instead of a whole system, a holistic yeah. thing. Um, but we need to go back and Ravi should have been preaching to himself and to his uh-huh. students
3: uh-huh.
0: this part of Peter as well. This, everyth- uh-huh. everything that comes before 315 is just as important as 315. And so, you know, we have... The infidelity. We have the bad business practices. We have all the stuff like answers are great, but you know, you coequally principle and practice together. Yep. Yep. And you know, classical apologetics only plays to um, just like a certain certain shelf again, secu- uh, the sacred secular divide. All those kind of things that are imaginary, that don't exist, that presuppositionalism <clears throat> takes into account um, whenever we do our methodology. Um, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's what I would speak into the Ravi. Yeah, you know, I I didn't listen to much to Ravi, you know, by the time I knew who Ravi was, I was already kind of just done, I, you know, with, with, uh, that form of evidentialism and just, um, that way of doing apologetics. So I would, I would hit Ravi more on that side of things. Um, and that side of things protected me from this side of things. It's still just as sad but at least I'm shielded and don't have that emotional connection that would keep me like, you know, I can stand out and look at things.
2: Yeah. So I don't have an emotional connection either. I did read Jesus among other gods. That was one of the first apologetic works that I actually read. Um, and, and it was good. I was Mm -hmm. impressed with it. And that was before I had really jumped in at all. Um, very early on in my, um, desire to be involved in apologetics. I, I ran into that book. Uh, but what I would say is the biggest piece, and you know, this is um, going to play to multiple things. Um, the disconnect between apologetics and the church. What is yeah. apologetics for? Uh, one of the key things to me is apologetics is a ministry to the church. Mm-hmm. It's actually just as a ministry to believers as mm-hmm. it is unbelievers. And I, an accountability within the local church. Yeah. To me, again, there's a key piece. I cannot separate a I cannot separate the methodology from the method or from the message. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the pitfalls I see so often in classical apologetics is that I'm going to be one who's gonna well there's a greater chance that there's a God. And I'm gonna convince that to the unbeliever. I'm rooted in the word of God all the way. Right in the presuppositional position, I'm submitting every thought captive to Christ, and that means to his word. That's why I can't throw out things like inerrancy. Right, that's why I cannot tell people, Oh, you've got an ability to reason with these things. No, you can't reason in spiritual things, like that's key. That comes up in my mind all of the time. And so my goal, my desire really actually isn't even to be an apologist. It is to be a minister of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And to me, when that is the key piece, I say, well, where is it that I exalt Christ? Well, it's in the church. Mm. And so the biggest problem, and this is not true for every classical apologist. I'm not making an over generalization by any means, but your method also is going to, your theology is going to, influence your method, but your theology is going to influence your ecclesiology. And without an ecclesiology that's rooted in a very serious understanding of the nature of God, you're not going to be able to do apologetics according to the word of God. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But you have a chance to separate yourself from that. So as a, as a pastor, I am uh, I, there's not a plurality of elders at my church yet. Uh, Hopefully there will be, right? Um, we are seeking a qualified man to, to sit into that position or men to sit in that position at our church. But I still have an accountability to my deacons and to my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And uh, if you get away from that, and I think about Ravi, where was it that he was being ministered mm-hmm. to? See, mm-hmm. yes, I preach, but every week, you know, my, I'm so blessed. My youth director uh, that's what we call our youth guy here is our youth director. He, he, he could be a pastor. He could be an elder. And, and I say that very sincerely. Um, every week I'm sitting down, he he is in the next room beside me and he's here 40 hours a week. You know, this week he hasn't been because of the snow. Uh, but uh, that is such a key piece. Like, there's this guy who's going to call me out when I mess up. There's this guy that I, I actually have a, a healthy fear of because mm-hmm. I know he's going to speak truth. Like, no, you said but you didn't do, or I saw you not do this. And that is such an amazing blessing. Uh, I think a presuppositional apologetic grounds you in the reality that your theology not only influences your apologetic method, but your ecclesiology, which is key. So that said, you are a new member, the newest member mm-hmm. of the Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network. I just switched channels really quick. That oh, was a yeah. hard yeah. shift. <laughs> so, Good job. A clutchless shift. Do you, do you ever drive a, uh, have you driven a standard uh, vehicle, Gabe? Oh, uh, uh, it's been a while. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they don't hardly make them on anything no. but, anymore. <laughs> but uh, that was a clutchless shift into uh, the next little piece. You're a new member of the Apologetics Meth- uh, Missouri, Baptist ne- Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network. You're the youngest member. You're the only individual who's an undergraduate who's actually on the campus of Midwestern Seminary. Tell me a little bit about what you want to do to expand the network and some of your goals for the network. Because I think that's key. We have some people come in and it's, hey, I, I, I'm, oh, I've got that on my resume now. Or, Oh, I'm a part of that. But like what I like about you specifically as a student is you certainly have thought God has a direction for my life in this. So tell me about some ways you'd like to see the network move and, and even what Adam and I can do to make sure some of those things happen.
1: Yeah. Well, I think firstly, um, you know, I was thinking about that. I was like, man, I'm the, because I was looking through all the other guys. And I'm like, man, I really am. I'm, like the, I'm the youngest. I'm like, a lot of these guys either have doctorates, masters, uh, they have extensive certificates training and I'm getting to my BA in worship ministry. Hey, you're, you're a
0: worship <laughs> minister. Again, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm a churchman <laughs> and a barber. <laughs> so dude, you, I'm but, below you. Come on. Oh, oh I
3: don't know. About that.
1: But, um, for me right now, and I know, um, it's, it's just finding ways to be involved and first see and, and, and capture the idea, of, like, uh, like the, the, the philosophy of the network and then moving with that. It's, it's, it's integrating myself with it. It's, it's knowing more of the members and, and getting in touch with people and, and making those connections. I look forward to the meeting cause I'm like, I can actually meet some of these people, Lord willing, and actually, uh, If I can do a handshake with them, that'd be great. If not, I guess an elbow touch will work.
0: (laughs) You can always hug me, brother. (laughs) Anytime.
1: I'm good. And um, right now for me, it's saying I want to be involved, learn, but also um, say, hey, if this is a thought that's been camped on, on certain events or whatever the case is, not only do I want to be involved, but I want to try to be somebody that's helping to push Promote market and and actually help make those contacts um, in any way that I can. For me, it's it's being green to be involved and and actually work within the network and help help cast vision with it as well. If that's something that is available for me to do and stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of as I as I've looked at it. I mean. Um, being more new, I kind of is even still just trying to feel out kind of what is the norm within the network and get to know it is, is kind of uh, where I am, but, but always looking to be involved anywhere that I can from the get-go is my goal. Um, Amen. All
0: right. Yeah, we can definitely, uh, I mean, we can tell Will Hoffman, if you're watching this or listening to this on the podcast, uh, you heard what he said. So, I mean, you can help put him to work. Um, Rob Phillips as well, put him to work and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll figure out some ways that, you know, cause we would love to um, somehow get you included on, even on like this podcast more than just um, yourself, you know, introducing yourself and um, kind of uh, giving us uh, your story on um, how you've ended up where you are right now. And uh, what you want to do? So definitely, uh, we've made a connection tonight um, that will go on into the future, into you know, mm-hmm. really eternity. Um, that's that's mm-hmm. the truth. So mm-hmm. you know, and so that's what, what that's mm-hmm. the hope that lies within us um, that we can tell mm-hmm. them, you know, about a relationship between us. So,
2: well, one of the things that I think is really exciting, Gabe, is that here you are. You're in the hub of theological education. You're right there. Uh, You have access to professors, and you're learning from them, and you are thinking kingdom building, and such a beautiful piece. And when I think about the way that the network has connected overall, uh, there's a neat validation that we get. Here's a guy who has already said, hey, I'm a, I want to get a PhD in apologetics, and I want to teach this. And you give us an opportunity to expand our influence into others, because how is the network connected with churches? Not as well as it should. And so sometimes there's, a, again, when you interject and integrate a new person in, it allows us to see some of the ways that we have some weaknesses. And so, as I think a little bit about the disciple-making element of apologetics uh, that you are actively involved in, I uh, kind of want to end a little bit on, on some of these ideas. Uh, how do you see presuppositionalism influencing your disciple-making and how you connect with, uh, with others who are in the academic circles, that makes yeah.
1: sense? It, um Man, one uh, first thing that really came to mind, not a member of a church, but a, a good friend of mine who is uh, currently actually going to UMKC and is in the um, uh, oh some sort of uh, science department there. I can't remember necessarily, um, but I was um, in Richmond, Missouri, not too far from here. Uh, visiting my brother has a business, and I was kind of stopping, getting a drink there and stuff like that. Uh, healthy drink. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Baptist. I understand. Hey, I'm
0: a reformed Baptist. <laughs> so you're not offended me.
1: Oh, well, yeah, you know, that's true. <laughs> hey, Charles Burgess, I tell you, what. <laughs> that's right. Peace. <laughs> but, um, this is just one way because, like, I'll first answer to the church what I've been doing. I've been having um, for I've been teaching Sunday school. Um, I haven't gotten to really have time to to sit with any of the members recently because my my semester's been so busy and the weather's been wacky and mm-hmm. covid, like our church, at times we're loose, but in other ways, we take it very serious and stuff like that. and um, but as far as my direct impact beyond worship ministry is, is teaching, uh, I've been teaching a lot of Christian doctrine and interweaving a lot of apologetics within there. So it's, it's my, my goal when I'm never at the church and I'm speaking to people and I speak a like, um, uh, by the founder of fusion, I talk with him in my small group and we, we talk a, a lot about apologetics or at least we speak in apologetic language without necessarily ever recognizing it's there. Oh, wow. I know oh, it's yeah. there. I mean, they don't know what to do, but, um, Teaching like both my small group and in Sunday school, um, reflecting on good theology in the small group teaching good theology in 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 the uh, Sunday school class and stuff like that. And and there was actually one of the kids from the youth group came up to me and asked me a good question about he's like, is it good to study psychology and be a Christian? I was talking with him about apologetics and stuff like that. And like I got a chance to minister to him and help him understand um, Really, just kind of laid out presuppositionalism to him, be like, hey, you know, we can work within anything, mm-hmm. and it's, it works. It works. But outside of that, just ministering to people as the Lord brings them around me through the busyness of my life, like this gal I was speaking with at my brother's shop, she was telling me she's like, hey, Amon being made fun of. I'm like the only Christian in like the department, or at least outspokenly, and. They're bombarding me. They don't like me, and I, I, I asked her because she's actually Presbyterian. Hmm. But um, I, I said, just started laying out um, presuppositional apologetics, and she sat there and was like, "I never thought about it like that." I was like, hmm. "I'll question you. You have to question them back, and don't be afraid to." She's like, hmm. "I thought about it." She's like, "I was like, well, then don't be afraid and just just do it. The Lord has given you that opportunity." To mm-hmm. speak into that person's life, and hopefully, as you know, as Van Til would say, you know, bring them to a epistemological self-consciousness to at least shed, shed some sort of light on that what they believe is actually more absurd than what you, being a Christian, is. So it helps me again tear away some of even the, the confusions using presuppositionalism, and say either to whom I'm ministering to, I can say, listen. You have to submit your life. You have to submit in ways that you're being vulnerable to talk with me about or, or help them understand that um, when they have conversation, they, by the Lord's grace, have the ability to to tear away some of um, any of their objectors' comments to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, is, it, it gives me a confidence to know that when people bring me questions, I, I'm equipped to both Help them personally, and even in their own ministry. If it's a random guy at work, I talk. I have a twin brother actually, and we he is with people that are believe in aliens, and they believe in all these weird, weird things, and just I just just strange things. And I'm able to talk with him and say, "Man, this is what I've been studying. Think about this next time you have that conversation, or push him on this next time you have that conversation." And it it also helps me to remember. That it is only by God's grace I both know these things and can speak of these things. Amen. And mm-hmm. it, it's, it's wonderful to minister. It's wonderful to, to uh, help sure up others. But in that process, the Lord graces to sure up myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a, I just see it as a win-win to be able to do that. And it influences the way, like I said, the way that I'm able to disciple and evangelize.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, if you're listening to the podcast and you would like for Gabe to come to your church, you can contact him through the link that I posted uh, to this actual discussion. but you could also go to the Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network. just Google Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network. Scroll to the bottom and you will find Gabe uh, there easy. Yeah, there's place there's to find a him.
0: really ugly picture of like a guy in a pink bow tie. I'm going to I'm okay. going to don't just skip past that dude for now until uh, he gets a My better picture.
2: picture my picture is is of me about uh 40 pounds heavier,
0: so. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but yeah, go go in into support, and it's one of those things, we're, we're here, um, and it's an, another great opportunity, we haven't really, I'm trying to think the last time we, I guess it was uh, Shirky that we introduced, uh, since we'd never had him on the podcast before the last time, but we want to take this opportunity again, just uh, intentionally, just to be like, we're here as a resource. Um, you know it's not just all on Rob Phillips um, up in Jeff city you know he, he has a lot he's got he's got time you know this is his ministry he's got a lot of books and all that kind of stuff but we are also here too um, with like our little specialties that we like to talk about or whatever um, uh, the cool thing is when you get a presuppositionalist list you can kind of talk in about everything like <laughs> you, can, you, you know there, there's a little bit, you give us a little bit of a starting point give us a little set time to start thinking about the presuppositions and what you want to talk about and we can almost go in like freestyle um you know 20 20 30 minutes if you if you need us to think and and do some work and so you know but i just wanted to bring attention again to the missouri baptist apologetics network go there there are people um it's not just a a one-trick pony there's ton of us we want to come we would probably like you know, I'm not speaking for everybody, um, but I'm sure the spirit is there. Like, we will be there for free, you know, or we will be very low. Um, if you could provide, you know, it's what, if you want to provide food, we like food. We're human beings, uh, but, and we're Baptists. So, yeah. yes, food is always good. And, and, uh, group food together is even better. But anyway, we are here and, um, we want to come and, uh, hear your, stories of your youth groups of your churches um you know your mission um the mission that's always been a part of your churches we want to hear that stuff um we're encouraged by history and all that kind of stuff too so call us up uh have us out and uh we would more be more than willing to come and and hang out and exchange stories and edify each other through the act of uh defending um the faith once for all delivered to the saints
2: Gabe, so, yeah. we end our program. Oops, sorry.
0: Oh, no, no, no. I was, I was waiting for you.
2: <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> sorry. Gabe, uh, we always end our programming kind of a in in a way that glorifies God. We try and we end by mm-hmm. saying sola deo gloria. And uh, except for one time, I said de la. Uh, and de lo, yeah. And, uh, Adam, you know, made sure to make fun of me. Oh, um, I, I, yeah. hey, you know, <laughs> I needed it. Um, hey, I point, <laughs> Hey,
0: you gotta admit, you gotta admit. Whenever I mess up, I point it out on you know live. I don't wait to just close it out I and be like, huh.
3: no, I, I,
0: I make sure that my blunders are seen. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, well, Gabe, uh, two things. Want to end with you go again. Uh, everyone, invite Gabe to come speak at your church. Mm-hmm. He would do an excellent job. Number two, Gabe, we would love for you to sit down with Adam and and sketch out a. Uh, how presuppositionalism uh, impacts worship leading uh, yeah. such a great little piece. If you want to do a blog, if you want to do a, a booklet or a really long book, uh, we certainly would invite that. We'd love to be helpful in any way we could on that.
0: And I already uh, have so a starting point for you and I'm going to send it to you tonight or tomorrow.
2: <laughs> Let's
1: do it. Let's do it. Publishing,
0: BNR Publishing. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Well, Adam,
2: uh, wrap us up, brother. (laughs) All right.
0: So you know the drill. I'm going to – I'll say Soli, you say Gloria, and uh, and then uh, Dave will meet us in the middle, and we will be out. So – Thanks for uh, being a part of the uh, podcast. If you're in a live cast, thanks for, and you were with us last time. Thank you for the double dose and being with us uh, tonight um, for two. Um, If you're downloading the podcast, thank you again, as always. um, We get to take a little bit of time in your life. We hope um, that the information that the story and everything is edifying to you. Um, And we just know we see the numbers, we see the downloads and stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not like other people would make fun of it we love it and, and we, we love to see that it's getting out and then we end up getting yeah. stories um from people at like say whenever we are working the table um at the nbc annual meeting stuff you know and we love even if it's just one or two stories it's like last time i got a story and like i wanted to cry there and it was joyful and rejoicing that uh what we do here has affected somebody in the state and that's that's good enough for me so anyway with that said this is the tag you're at podcast i'm ray ray
1: And I am Dave. And I'm Gabriel. And Sully. Dale. Gloria.